0: We are live! Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another Educator Innovator Hangout on the Air. I'm your host for this Hangout. My name is Sigita Shrestova, and I'm the director of the Civic Past Group based at the University of Southern California. Today's conversation focuses on growing up American Muslim, the challenges and the opportunities youth face in the classroom and beyond. Thank you for joining us here today, and especially thank you to our guests for making the time to be here. For those of you who are watching this Hangout Live, we encourage you to post through your ideas, thoughts, and questions via the live chat feature embedded in the video player. Or you can just tweet questions and follow along using the hashtag, hashtag connected learning. So to get us all started, I'm actually going to ask everybody to do a round of introductions. So just tell me a little bit about who you are, where you live, where you go to school, the kind of environment that you are in. I'm going to turn it over i'm going to call on people initially just to get us started and then we can just make a have a more spontaneous conversation moving forward so i'm going to start off with Yomna because she's to my left <laughs> all
1: right um, hi everyone my name is Yomna sayed i'm a phd student at the annenberg school for communication at the university of southern california Um, I study youth activism in Egypt and the Arab world, Um, but I'm also, I've been here in the U.S. for um, seven years. Uh, I have both my kids here in the U.S. Um, And so I'm a mother of two young American Muslims. Um, And so I'm here as both um, a graduate student um, living in the Trump era and both, and a mother of two boys who are growing up in this atmosphere.
0: All right, and I'll turn it over to Amira and her team over
2: there in Dearborn. Yes, definitely a team. Uh, My name is Amira Saidi. I'm a uh, teacher here in Dearborn, Michigan. Um, I'm teaching currently at Edsel Ford High School, which is one of three high schools, public high schools in uh, Dearborn, Michigan. We have a really big population of Muslim Americans here. Uh, A lot of immigrants, a lot of students who may be third, fourth generation American. Um and I currently teach language arts uh, to ninth grade students and I've got two of them with me here. So I'll turn it over to Duane and Amen. Hello everybody, my name is Daam Hustin. I'm still in high school at High School.
3: It's it's called one of the districts in the Durban. And I am ninth great and uh, my teacher is um, society and I love here with my family. Turn it out to Hi,
4: my name is I'm, I'm an Nazi Ford
0: high school student here in Delaware, Michigan. I'm in ninth grade, and Saidi is one of my teachers, and yeah. All right, um, so I guess let's just jump in. I mean, Yumna started talking about Trump's America. She took us there right away. <laughs> so um, I, I don't really want to talk about Trump's America, but I do want to talk about um What it means, I mean, do you feel that your Muslim identity is a key component of how you operate in your school, in your environment? Like, is it something you think about a lot nowadays? Uh, Let's kind of back out of, you know, let's not talk about Trump and and all that stuff, but just about you and how you move through your world and through your day. Like, do you think about being Muslim in America on a daily basis? And anybody jump in at this point? Um,
2: I could start. um, I think. Being a Muslim, uh, born and raised in America, uh, my family immigrated in the 80s from Yemen um, and had all their children but one here. So being a Muslim in Dearborn wasn't really like a salient thing because we felt like the majority in the city. Um, I had a lot of friends who were Muslim and so we practiced like we all practice Ramadan together when we're fasting for 30 days. We all go to the mosque on Fridays um, and it wasn't until I went to college and then earned my master's and left the city that you really it becomes a salient part of your identity. Um, and I had to sort of um, understand that Islam is like a way of life, so it's not something that you can take off. Especially with wearing, you know, the hijab or the headscarf, it's something that's like probably the first thing people recognize when they see me. Um, and just inviting dialogue um has always been my avenue to like understand what people's thoughts and feelings are around this religion that really didn't feel like it was this uh, foreign thing in the US um until I you know had to leave the city and realize that oh wow we're a real minority in this country um and there's a lot of misconceptions. So um that's my own personal experience with Islam in America. Um anybody else
0: wanna <laughs>
1: Anybody else want to jump in? Um, I, I, my experience was, I was, I think I was the first at least visibly Muslim um, student to join my school. I mean the graduate school, and um, and so there were a lot of stereotyping. I mean, like people conflating my introverted character into the um, oppressed Muslim woman stereotype and everything. Um, so it took time for people to get to know. Oh, I'm like that. Uh, I'm an introvert. It's not that I'm oppressed or anything. Um, and then, but I guess the biggest struggle was the fact that um, uh, was the fact that. I was surprised to see how um, many, um, I mean, I I encountered this many um, uh, women who identify as feminists do not think that a woman with a hijab can be a feminist or can can have strong views about that. Um, And I just didn't understand that. I mean, coming um, from Egypt, I always believed that, I mean, you have the right to work. Uh, get an education, have equal rights and um, I was surprised that some feminists reduced the headscarf or the hijab uh, I mean reduced feminism into what you wear. Um, so I mean this was a big surprise to me I was dismayed by this um, and and I felt that the, I mean this is this can be its own patriarchy that um, feminists can become. Um, so, I mean, this was my struggle. Um, the headscarf was very visible, um, despite the fact that I'm in LA. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just like Amira said.
0: Do, uh, what about Doha and uh, Ayman, do you have something to, to add to that? Like, what about you? How do you think about your identity? Well,
4: um, here growing up in Dearborn. who should well, here living in Dearborn, it's it's pretty easy to be a Muslim. Uh, most, like, as Ms. Saidi said, um, everyone's, like, there's a lot of population in Michigan, not even, not only Dearborn, um, there's a lot of Muslims in this uh, state. So, like, it's, I get used to it. But some, like, a big part of my life, I've been in New York, and I, I've seen this happen, too. And this happened to my sister, too. Someone actually called her a terrorist, and I got pretty mad. And, uh, you know, it's just, yeah, it's hard. But, you know, like like she said, um, it's not something you can just take off. You have to be strong. You have to go through it and everything. So, you know, it's just,
3: I'm proud. Nothing really, nothing more to say. Right.
0: What about Doth?
3: Well, living in Durban, uh, they are mostly said well, just the most is Muslims. My na- um, my neighbors also Muslims. I don't find like any difficult thing like the different with people, the teachers or something like that. And I remember like my sister got they and in, in school, but in, the, in school she they, people would just look at like uh, like look at her and she, wearing she's wearing hijab or she went like the stores or markers. They, they think that she, uh, my parents uh, uh, my parents forced her to wear hijab and they ask her what do you do? nobody forced me to wear hijab. I like to wear hijab, it's one of my cultures, and my one of my lord lord religions, Islam. And I've just been here for years. So I think like to say a lot
0: about
3: it. It's easy for me, She's don't go. That's great.
0: Okay. Uh, I am can you, when, you speak, when I speak, can you mute yourself, Amira, just because I think, I, oh, now it's good, that's no, good, great. Um, so, I think it might actually be worth pausing a little bit, and maybe, Amira, you can provide a little bit of context about Dearborn, because you're going to be speaking from a very particular perspective. Um, can you describe sort of the community, the Muslim communities? who, you know, what is the, What is life like? And then maybe, Yumna, you and I can do the same for LA a little bit, just because I think it is really important to kind of start to even break apart this idea of the American Muslim experience, because clearly there are many experiences. So maybe you can speak a little bit to the Dearborn one. Sure,
2: uh, so I wish I had like done the prior research, but the last time I had checked on the stats, like there's 100,000 uh, members, or what is it called, population in Dearborn and of that like there's about 40,000 that are muslim uh who identify as muslim american uh, so it's not a majority but it's a really big minority um, you can go just like you know be able to pick up any milk from a grocery store you can stop in at any mosque like it's in walking distance to a lot of our neighborhoods just like a public library um and just how you, like, I mean, it's a really diverse, like we have a lot of churches that are right next to like one of the largest mosques in, uh, the, in North America. It's uh, located in um, Ford Road in Evergreen. And um, our school in particular, Edsel, like I've had students who have passes on Friday during prayer because it happens during the school day. And they all go meet in the is it the cafeteria? I believe it's in the gym. It's in the gym, and they all gather together and they organize their own Friday prayers. And somebody gives the sermon. So um, that's the type of like embeddedness we have. Our American Muslim identities are really meshing together, and then they'll go to a pep rally in the afternoon. So it's not really respectful way to. Yeah, they feel very respected. It's not an identity clash. I think that I've met other friends who, for instance, grew up in Texas where they are the only Muslim. There's not really that identity clash uh, for a majority of the students. They recognize their Muslim identity um, and their parents. You know, we have women who wear the full-face veil. We have women who wear just the abaya. We have women who don't wear the headscarf. Um, and, yeah, I think it's just a, a general part of our day. It's not something that's like explicitly... We uh,
3: actually separate between them.
2: Like, they like they separate
3: between like wearing hijab and Muslim. They respect each other more. Uh, when, when someone's speaking, they respect their opinion. And not just like Allah, like if you were in different states and you are the only Muslim, you will find like this. But we're all over here the most is Muslim. And that is just even
0: this there's not Muslims, there's not respect to each other. Um, Yamna, can you describe the environment that your your children go to, like the school that they go to and what that is like?
1: Yes. Um, so I mean in the LA LA is so wide. So I'm speaking on the experience of Irvine, California, where my children go to school, and and also it might not be an an exemplary uh, 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 example, I mean, uh, experience of an American Muslim. So they go to an um, um a an, uh, school, uh, a Muslim school, Islamic school, uh, and it's a private Islamic school. Um, and so they are sort of shielded, uh, from whatever they might experience in public schools. But also, even if they went to public schools, Irvine is a very diverse city. Um, it's based on Immigrants uh, from all over not necessarily Muslims, but there is a large Muslim community in Irvine um, At the Islamic Center of Irvine um, however, uh, there are also areas um, Where the like for example there is um, one in Orange Crescent um, and they did receive a lot of um, I Mean they, they did receive the hate mail and came to the school and children saw that um and they, and they had a response for that as well.
0: Um, all right, so I think, I'm actually going, oh, I'm, <laughs> every time I start speaking, I get an echo, but then it, oh, is that the bell this time? <laughs> all right, we'll just let the bell go. <laughs> That's good, so don't worry about it. Okay, so um, I think... I'm going to just kind of bring in a few of the voices of the youth that I spoke to when I did my work with American Muslims and specifically um, just that I did speak to a lot of youth in L.A. who were in different schools where they were even the only Muslim in that class, so or in that school or in that middle school and so they did feel a lot of that um, isolation but also pressure that every time Islam came up they were asked to speak for it right so they were asked to explain something or they felt like they everybody turned to them so if it was about the scarf or anything like that they would be asked to explain so I guess in a way um, you're all coming from a different background and I think I really want to use that as a way to start the next phase of conversation which is I think Amira mentioned this idea that like once she once she shifted and went somewhere else like she realized that she needed to invite dialogue or to such to, that there was a lot of ignorance around Islam and so I guess what where do you feel that your schools or your educational spaces that you're in are doing to equip young or what are you doing or what do you feel like you need to equip young American Muslims to be able to have those dialogues? I mean, if, it, if they're going to come up, even if you want to or not, then how do we deal with that? Like, that's kind of a question. And, and how do we deal with that in a way that doesn't feel like you're, again, like asked to represent? So. Um, yeah, I guess I'll just turn it over and see if anybody has a thought about that. Go ahead. Yomna, um, I believe that's,
3: Do
4: I see Um. right? What, what? What's the name of the school your
1: kids go to? Uh, it's called New Horizon. you said it's a private muslim school right yes it's a private islamic school so the question being asked is
2: basically how do you invite like a dialogue with your identity with people who might not understand it like how do you get comfortable enough in your skin um i used to go
4: to a private school that was that was islamic Um, it's called the icd it was in detroit so I had to like wake up early, it was like 5, 20, I don't know how long it was, um, it was long ago though. Uh, since like first, um, since like first grade, since uh, first grade to fourth grade, I've been in ICE I believe. And it was it was a fun experience, it was nice, I got to learn a lot. And it like, you know, it helped me, my surroundings, you
3: know, there was obviously Muslims there. So it was cool. I went to middle school, the line intermediate. The most, all of the students, Muslim students. So I think they understand me and I understand them. and respect each other. I get to learn new things from them and they get to learn new things from me. And I think that's
0: great. So if a, if a teacher came up to you, say, not in your school, like if a, if a teacher from somewhere else came to you and said, look, I really want my students who are not Muslim to understand Islam, like they, I really want them to understand and to think about it in a different way. What would you say to them? Like, what would your advice be to them? Like, what would you say? You should do this. Or I think this would be great. Or maybe they say, like, don't do this. Like, what would your advice be to them?
3: Sorry, we had a bell, so what was the question
4: you're asking, like politics, politics
0: politics-wise? In any way, like if they wanted to teach something about Islam or American Muslims in their classroom, what would you say you'd like them to teach? Like what would you, I know you are in a different situation, so you probably have a lot, even what you see in your school that's working well, like what would you like them to teach? What would you like them to tell their students?
4: Well, most likely, um, I think what you're trying to say is that they're trying to teach their American students who don't know a lot about Islam. So, um, most likely, they won't be able to read the uh, Quran, which is all in Arabic. But well, you can get your own English version. I actually have one to learn the stories behind it. But um, I would suggest like, teaching them about, say, if it was history, I would say um, the prophets. So. <laughs>
2: We are in school, if you get her
0: um, It's totally fine, don't, don't, don't worry about the bell. it's fine.
4: So, um, yeah, um, I would strongly suggest that you guys, or whoever the teacher is, um, start off with the profits, and then what they've done, and how they've impacted us. Because, um, for us, the prophets are our inspiration, so...
2: And to build off of that, I remember in ninth grade, there was a unit that was taught in history uh, that was about the major religions in the world. Um, And we had to do a comparison contrast. And it was really eye opening for a lot of students who weren't um, maybe religious at all to see the similarities because that's definitely what's not, that's definitely not what's portrayed in the media. It's like a lot of, you know, divide and conquer. Uh, we're better than you, you you know, we have nothing in common. The fact that, you know, a lot of non-Muslims who hear that Jesus is a prophet within Islam and it, he's actually one of the top five, um, that's really, you know, shocking for them. Yeah. So I think just finding the similarities between all the major religions in the world, like those types of lessons. Um, and I also stress this whole idea because I even, so it's like Amen right now, just uh, he's one of the. He's, he said something that's one of the reasons I teach this lesson on what does it mean to be American like what does an American look like? So I'll project a bunch of pictures of uh, people who look different you know and they, they you know African American like Africans, uh, Muslims, uh, Jewish people. and then I'll ask who's American in these images and they have to label them. and then what I tell them at the end is they're all American. So I, American is like a political identity. it's not a religious identity. Um, so, I think lessons like that that kind of uh, point to some of the misconceptions that we have um, are really critical in American education um, right now because we are an eclectic group of people coming from all over the place.
0: That's great.
1: So have, go I ahead and um, add answer that. that. Um, I mean, even if you don't feel comfortable giving a lesson about Islam, um, if this is too political for the school or something, you will have also the option of inviting someone to come in your class and speak about Islam. So there is the Muslim Speakers Network, for example, that they can come and speak about it. You can um, initiate the discussion by speaking about American history and Muslims were part of American history. Um, they were a part of um, slaves who were brought to America um, and they were part in the 18s and now, early 19th century there were so many um, um, Syrian and Lebanese immigrants um, so it's speaking about history um, and and um, children are smart enough to draw parallels between the reality now um, and what happened in history uh, without having to explicitly talk about what is happening right now um, I mean so this this can be an option for example uh,
0: so that's great I think. So let's, we're, we're kind of circling around politics, so let's kind of back away from Islam and Muslims and American Muslims and all that for a second and talk about politics in the classroom. Do you all discuss politics in the classroom? Like, do you bring politics into the classroom? If so, how? How is it discussed? Like, I mean, are you seeing your children grapple? Like, are the teachers mentioning it? Are they talking about what's happening on the, in political spaces, or is that something that's not discussed?
1: um so i do i i am a graduate teaching assistant um so i do not talk about politics because um i neither have the platform but i mean just me being there um with the way that i look um makes a student have to deal with me um and um and i think i mean i do i do not need to talk politics i just have to be there and treat them with respect um and when they see that they might um, change their views but my children, they do, I mean, despite the fact that I try to shield them from everything that is going on in politics and everything, they do pick up on a lot of things from school. I mean, they just, they're just smart. Uh, they would ask me, why does Trump? doesn't like us or why doesn't he like women <laughs> and just from the fact that they inferred i didn't tell them that they inferred it from the fact that i'm going to the women's march or that i'm going to the protest no band no wall or whatever oh so there is something there's a tension um so they're starting to feel a little bit un-american but um yeah i mean we try to
0: counter that as much as we can so what about for our dearborn team like what how do you think is politics talked about in your classrooms, um, and if so, how?
3: Most definitely,
4: because world history is like one of the most classes I would talk about. Um, talk about this. Um, they talk about you know um, Hinduism. They talk about being Jewish. They talk about Muslims. They talk about being American talk about everything like that and it's it's most likely to have to do with uh history mm-hmm. and considering that there's a big population of Muslims in Dearborn, it's
2: kind of like i have to when um, teach. So so the question is about politics. So it's just like it's not just about being like religious for example. So does Trump like currently does Trump come up to like, you know, elections? Are they discussed? Do you think that politics are
3: part of your school experience? Yeah, I think in, in my social studies class, I had a teacher named Mr. Golas. He actually, it's like when the lecture day, he explained for us everything was going on and things like having school, he explained for us, he gave us information, details about things to understand and about even Trump. I goes even in class, he talks about like what we're saying, the interviews that he do, and also, um, well, when the country is going on, he explains to us a lot of things
0: that we understand. So
2: I think it's part of the class. So, How do
0: you think about it, Amira?
2: Yeah, so um, we've, I've had this conversation with people who think that the classroom should be a neutral place. And I agree in the sense that a like, teacher shouldn't impose his or her political values on, on her students, but there should be a space like education. The classroom should be a space for kids to process what they are, no doubt hearing and feeling when they're exposed to all of this political information, especially when, as it relates to them and their families. So um, one thing that I do in my classroom is I have these debates where I'll ask questions like, is the world a safe place? And then the students you have to pick a position and they have to defend it with like uh news uh the anything evidence. specific evidence evidence quotes and websites you've taught her well
3: <laughs> that's a great thing we she got she the to she us like how to get how to get in good debate with evidence and claim and even my even the other teachers did us you know how to explain evidence reasoning cr and defend your opinion and not stuff like really sometimes people say their opinion and they does not have any evidence they just say they're not going to listen they are not gonna respect their opinion so we have strong evidence and defend it,
0: uh we'll just a great opinion okay. it. so what about in your sort of home spaces is politics discussed as well like do you talk about it with your parents did you well, talk well
4: um for the past, I believe, month, um, me and like, you know, I've never heard this personally, but I haven't heard of Trump at all. And, you know, we're still the country. I haven't heard of any Muslims being kicked out. So, um, like right now, I don't, I don't even know if Trump's a threat at this part, point. But um, early on, when he said he was going to kick out Muslims and everything, you know, obviously there was, um, those places where you hold up signs, you know, people get together. Um, I forgot what those were called from protests, yeah. Where we would we were just there and then, you know, Trump would like most likely watch and see. And I don't know, I haven't really heard about Trump in the past few weeks, so kind of in the beginning, that's for sure. But not not now.
3: I think everybody, like, I think the most they do talk about politics in homes. And my house, I, I do, I we do talk because we're part of this country. We need to understand what's going on. And we need to, like, my and my family, we let each other, like, we, we sit and listen to other opinions. And we just talk about, we read news, we hear news, we talk about what's going on. And even my neighbor, we actually actually using one of the skills, observation and critical kinds, once right? Critical
0: consciousness, yes. <laughs> like how and why. Yeah. So, Yumna, do you talk about politics at home? I think you mentioned you tried to shield your kids. So
1: I tried to, but I mean, there was a point, especially with a travel ban, where we had to tell our kids, uh, so our our yearly summer vacation, um, we're not really sure, so they ask why, and we tell them, well, Trump might ban us, and they oh, why? <laughs> So I mean, we're from Egypt. Uh, so it was we were not included in the travel ban. But as you can see, restrictions are happening over and over. And some of my friends would come to me and tell me, "Oh, great! You're not part of the people who were banned from the uh, from the I mean, in the travel ban." And I would tell them, "It doesn't make a difference." Um, it is a Muslim ban. It is um, a ban on the category Muslim, It's stigmatizing everybody who's Muslim, whether you're from these countries or not. So it does, and this is what my kids felt. They, they picked up on the meta aspect of it. It's not about the country. <laughs> um, so yeah, it comes up because it's everyday life. It's they're, they're politicizing our everyday existence. Honestly, I don't want
3: to sound biased or anything, but... Um
4: When um, ever since Trump has been becoming president, I believe in New York there was like a gigantic prayer in front of the city hall or something where like almost all the Muslims around there went to pray. And it was a lot of people. So um, at that part, like that was amazing. I don't think anything like that would have ever happened if Trump didn't become president. So that was was, uh, actually kind of cool. For Muslims, how we got together like that and express,
0: you know, that we're Muslim, we're proud and everything. Yeah. That's, that's key, you know? I, I work with. Um, I mean, I sometimes um, do some work with Adina Lekovic who's a who's a public advocate for American Muslims, and she talks about creativity. She's kind of made up this word, where she talks about that out of crisis comes opportunity, and that we have to also seize that opportunity even as we recognize the crisis, right? So I think it's great, Ayman, that you brought that up because I guess, is, are there opportunities that you see here in this sort of crisis that we're in? And how can we, what can we do to like to mobilize on those? What can we do to move forward so that we get somewhere else so that once we come out of the crisis, we're not in where we started, right? What do you think? It's, well, a, it's a general question, so. So
4: honestly, like, drug, it's, um, like, we're not, I mean, I don't, I don't hate him, but, you know, what he, what he's doing is, like, wrong, because I've seen, I've experienced people crying, even in the school, how, you know, they can't go and see their families, or their family can't come to see them from Yemen, Iraq, or some other countries, because of the ban, and that's just, like, really, really, really tough, and I just, that's,
2: I, I had no words for that. Do you have any possible like w- ways that we can move forward? Like consider like you kind of brought up the example that it was an opportunity for Muslims to, you know, unite together. So is there like is this even in this as you're identifying like like a crisis? Is there an opportunity for some something positive? Um, so I think positive. Go
4: on.
3: I think yeah. People, all of the people just come in one hand. They will do like. The constitution actually, we are the people, so I think it's all dependent on people. And anything Trump like say, you just make new law, and people, people see it and they just not like it. Like, about the countries that he doesn't want them to come in or to go out, people don't like this, and everybody just uh, went up like talking about it, and they just I'm mean, to just they stop this property fast.
4: Um, something that we can do as people in the population of America. Um, you know, obviously there's like, you know, non-Muslim people out there that are really mad at this as well. So that's, that's actually pretty cool. Well, um, what I think we can do and what I hope we can do is that we can, uh, we can like overrun uh, Trump as the people of the country. Um, I forgot the word they use for that. It's like when you block something. Like I believe within twelve hours of the Muslim ban, um, I saw this on Yahoo that um, they said something like they're gonna take away the ban. But it's gonna be outlawed, and that was pretty cool. Since it was already on Yahoo within twelve hours.
0: Yamna, did you have thoughts on this?
1: um yeah i mean the silver lining of all that is that um i too felt that if it were not for what trump did if if he didn't challenge the core of democracy in this country people wouldn't have risen i mean the way that they did i mean in the protests a lot of the people in the uh, protests that happened, whether they were the Women's March, whether they were the No Ban No Wall, um, the protests against um, his immigration policies um, and the immigration raids. A lot of people were apolitical. They were not. Um, they were not either this or that way. They just, they felt that there is this is an attack on human values, um, and so this is a very great chance for to build alliances among people. I can see people, especially in the interface um, um, area, people are extending alliances whether um, between mosques and churches and synagogues um people are and in the muslim community in itself um the muslim community is um facing its own um troubles like for example um they're starting to realize oh we have a racism problem in some of the muslim communities and we need to address that too and if we do not address that um then uh, because i mean african americans are part of this country and they're a great link between um, uh, immigrant American Muslims and um, America and and America so so we need to face that we need to discuss that we need to and then this was a great eye-opening thing that happened um, for us to extend alliances and to examine our own um, uh, communities
0: yeah so how I guess speaking of all of you are in um, I guess Muslim majority or almost Muslim majority communities or educational settings. so how can, in this context, what what do you do to try and help this this sort of non-isolationist thinking or to think about building alliances out to like what what do what needs to happen because that is that is not it's not a tribute it's not easy right it's not easy when you're also as a community trying to sort of survive and make it through this period right how do you also become open and 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 how do you what are some strategies for that Um, as a student in high school it's pretty easy to
4: like go fast because normally most of the students here um, not most. I'm just speaking on like a lot of students here. They're they're shy, and shy people. Um, they don't really enjoy attention. So, um, you know, with a hijab on, it's pretty like it's, uh, attention-seeking. But here, honestly, um, people got used to seeing Muslims. But since it's attention-seeking, like they don't like the attention, which gets lots of Muslim girls. To go into homeschool, I'm not even in private school. Homeschool straight because, like, because of the way people look at them, and you know, teachers, they're they're great. Teachers, they don't, um, you know, criticize. They don't look at you and say, you know, what? I'm gonna give that student less respect because of the way they look. I'm gonna give students less respect because of their religion. Teachers don't think like that. They think, um, yeah it once it was the same person look i look into you you know you're the same person as i see into them you know you, you have skin you have bones you have hair clothes everything so you know i don't see a difference in you guys i'll treat you guys with the same respect as i'll treat anyone else you know respect to get respected especially when you're a teacher because you know students they they become um you know they think it's good to bully little kids that are muslim and it's not, it's not that nice. It's really, really dumb because while like normally people um they don't enjoy seeing that. So sometimes there's an upstander that's not even Muslim. They don't even know who they are and just say, hey, stop bullying him. You're not any better or anything like that. And you know, it's good that we have you know anti-bully bully systems around the globe. And it's
3: pretty cool.
0: Other
2: thoughts? Yeah, um, did we just
0: Uh, forget? You lost power, but I think you're still there.
2: I think it's motion sensitive. -sensitive. But uh, what I was going to add to that is, so your question was basically like, how do white isolationism even within our, you know, quote, unquote, majority identity community, um, one thing that I, stress to students is this whole idea of know thyself so i feel like even as muslims they don't know why they do the things that they do like praying five times a day or why we pass ramadan so when we did the lesson on critical consciousness which is like a critical questioning of established like systems processes and hierarchies you know i asked them there was a question about like the, standing up for the the flag uh, for the uh, Pledge of Allegiance for yes. example and some of the students would stand up some of them would it and so I'm like why are you standing or not standing and they had no thoughts behind that And that triggered for me, I'm like, all right, these kids are not really thinking through the decisions, the things that they're doing. And I'm sure this trickles down even to their own identities and practices. So um, after reading the lottery, they had to analyze, like, you know, do they have traditions that they uphold without really considering their history or where they came from? Um, And so a lot of students were like, no, I would never be that person. I'm like, all right, then why do you pray five times a day? And none of them had any answer for it. They had like these like roundabout, like historical, religious, historical like, you know, things that they were pulling out that never actually hit on why is it five times a day. I have I have um, I have researched that when you actually asked us um, in the
4: Quran, I believe surah the quran um line no not line, um ayat two or three shows that you should pray um, I don't know if it says five times a day, but it, it says you should
2: pray. So this didn't happen in class. So this is, is good. You went yeah. and I did some research to help yeah. it.
4: Uh, also, um, yeah, the, the room is motion-centered and everything. That's why, you know, it closed. Thank you. Also, um, I had something to... Um, yeah, back in Salino, which is a uh, middle school that I went to, Um, it was mostly, uh, you know, mostly Muslim. like. It was 99.9% Muslim students, which is pretty cool. So, we basically grew up as brothers and sisters, and it was pretty nice. You know, we took care of each other. So, you know, you, um, obviously, it was like a big change when you went to high school. Look, there's someone new. Look, oh, I never knew about that religion and everything. But, you know, as a family, we still came to this high school. So, we still have family here, whether we're not related or related at, uh, at all. So you know it's pretty cool. And um, back in Atlanta when we had a substitute, um, they were pretty like racist. And when we were um, we were standing up for the pledge, um, this kid he normally never stands up in the pledge uh, because you know um, he's really like he's really scared if that meant anything else, and he doesn't want to be praying to the wrong god or anything. So when he sat down, the teacher um, said, oh, why are you disrespecting the flag? Go down to the office. You're lucky I won't call the cops or anything like that. And then in the end, the kid, was, he was crying. And he was like, I- I'm sorry. I He was Arabic, so I didn't know what he actually said. But you know, the school said he was allowed to sit down if he doesn't want to. Um, You know, as Muslim, you're supposed to pray to God. And that is optional, standing up for a flag, Flag is optional, especially Muslim, any other religion. So I thought, I thought that was, you know, something to share, especially at this moment.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Adding to the society, what she said about the uh, about the flood Actually, in this school, in high school, we used to like in the first like in the first month we used to just stand stand up, and if the teacher saw one of us sitting. He's gonna say stand up we're not actually asking she just wakes up wakes up our minds to think why we are doing things and to know what what and to know how why are we supposed to be like doing those types of things and then when she told us uh when she told us actually you're not supposed like it's your opinion if you want to stand or not but we, we all the students told her that it's because the teacher told us if he's are sitting the teacher was all stand up you're not allowed to sit and then
4: we we'll send up. We we'll just
0: listen for reactions, and without thinking. So, do you guys have any questions for us? Yeah. So that's a. This I have a question about this. The the pledge and the flag, because I think, Amira, it might be. I, I guess I'll direct this at you. It'll be. It would be really useful for you to provide a little context about it, if there are some people watching it and they don't understand what the discussion is and what's going on here, for the students. So I'm um,
2: asking for clarity as to, like, what the practice is in the school or
0: what? Yeah, the- and and the choice to sit down versus stand up. What are the cho- Like, when you did the critical thinking, what is it, critical consciousness? Right, critical consciousness. Yeah. When you did that exercise, what was that? Like, is it about the relationship to the flag? Is there is are there lines in the... And the pledge of allegiance that are problematic like what is it because i'm just trying to provide context for somebody who may be watching this who doesn't know anything about what the students are describing
2: absolutely so um a lot of my friends are also teachers within the dearborn district and we've had a lot of discussion around the pledge of allegiance and you know it's been a contentious thing um in american history even there are some people who are saying like why are we pledging allegiance to the flag the like the country should actually be pledging allegiance to the people. Like that's the way the constitution is written. So there's all this debate around it. And yet the students, when I came in and I have, I have my own personal decision as to like why I stand or don't stand, which isn't like the topic of conversation. But for the students, what I realized for them is they were, some of them were even being bullied into standing by other teachers in their past. Um, and they, you know, they were like that whole threat of like, and this is not the first time I've heard it. Like, you know, you're like, okay I don't call the cops on you. That is so legal. And I, I, you know, to me, I was just like, that is not in any way building a sense of like critical awareness as to like why they're doing the things that they're doing. So that to me lends itself to having a citizenry that isn't critically aware, critically conscious, and that's not what we want. And so. Um, That's what triggered, for me, seeing these students, (laughs) a lot of them who I know religiously, they're not allowed to stand up for the flag, because this whole uh, topic that he's bringing up about uh, pledging allegiance to an object, and we're supposed to only pledge allegiance to the creator, so uh, not the creation, so there's that whole argument and debate within Islam, and so... um, for the students they hadn't considered any of that but some of them were like sitting out of laziness some of them were just like you know standing out of fear and uh the only problem i had was that they had no idea what are we doing now? yeah they, they had no idea why they were doing either of those or, or any of those things we're just following directions that's it yeah.
0: mm. um, yeah. um Yamna, did you have anything any thoughts on this on this topic well, interestingly
1: in uh, the Islamic school where my kids go, um, they do the Pledge of Allegiance and they stress very much uh, the fact that um, they are, I mean, in the Pledge of Allegiance they say another pledge after the Pledge of Allegiance that they, they are American Muslims, so they, they emphasize those two things um, in parallel. So the Pledge of Allegiance and then a pledge to um, their Muslim identity uh, and the Quran and everything. Um, so yeah, it's interesting, the differences. Yeah, this is
0: fascinating discussion. We could do a whole webinar, I think, on this topic alone. Um, in the last sort of few minutes that we have together, I actually want to pivot to another topic a little bit in the sense of we've talked a lot about like finding out about things or sharing information, and and I'm just really curious where are you getting your information from when you're not getting in the classroom? Like are you on Facebook? Are you are you watching the news? Like where are you? This is mostly for the students I guess but it would be for all of us to a certain degree. Like where are you finding out about things? Well,
4: I, I find out information from, you know, I, um, as 15 year old I find information on Yahoo, um, MSN, uh, CNN, thoughts, other stuff. Um, Every once in a while I would watch the news and I, you know, focus on homework, etc. You know, my mom, yeah, she's having a hard time at the house with the new baby and everything, so I'm mostly cleaning. And, you know, I'm just, I'm never really on news a lot, which is, which is, like, why I haven't heard of Trump lately.
3: So
4: well, that's one of the reasons why I didn't give
0: that much information on him. So when you talk about CNN, MSNBC, you said MSNBC, right? Do you um, do you watch these on TV or do you go online?
4: Um, um, MSNBC is a website online that like. Um, are you
2: accessing it through your phone? Is it coming through the news? Like, the television,
4: my computer, and. Uh, and
0: Fox and CNN are coming from my TV. Okay. So you watch Fox News
4: as well? I watch Fox News sometimes, actually.
3: Okay. What about you, Dawn? Uh, I, I download ads on my phone. I make mean, news. And, like, some, something new just, come, uh, just comes in the from My phone, I just see it and read it. And actually from YouTube and TVs. And we got conferences with my parents, sisters, and brothers. Those and also from teachers. That's what I get all this
0: information from. From your so you said from your relatives as well? Like you would get it would they send it to you or would you discuss it with them? How would you get it from your relatives? My family? Yeah. Yeah, we just
3: discuss about what's going on in the world, what's going on in America, what new things are just like blowing up those kind of things, and even my neighbors, just talking because we're part of this country, we need to know what's going on to understand to understand what do we have to do and what we should not have to do.
2: And uh, I just want to say for, and I don't know if this situation is similar for not I mean, as Arabs, I just think that the Arab news being on it as background noise, like that's, that was my upbringing. satellite and whatever you know Al Jazeera and they'll talk about everything so that that was always on and you're absorbing it whether you want to or not yes through the the any media and so my dad discovered YouTube so now we get it you know 24 7 no matter where we're at Um, so I'm wondering if it's the same for you Um, that's been like a cultural joke for us
1: yeah it's like that when I go to Egypt <laughs> but right here, yeah, we it's just local news, um, a lot of um, a lot of opinion articles mainly in Facebook. Yeah.
0: How do you figure out if your news is true? Like how do you figure it out? How do you figure it out? What do you do when we you know, hear something? We actually figure it
3: out when we hear a lot of people talking about it. And even seeing uh, in the news video about this person they're talking about like Trump. We see this video talking like he's talking about a topic that makes people angry. And then seeing people talk about it, that's that's not good law, with this kind of things. And also a teacher and friends also. Did you hear about this when you don't We said no, they explain for us or like yeah, that's Okay.
4: Um, also, how I find it is normally when I'm doing essays, I search it up. I get quotes. Um,
2: and how do you know it's true, authentically, like
4: real? Well, normally when you're on Google, um, Google is a trusted fact, especially when they put next to it a um, a check note, which means it's certified. Like if they um, if they write this is going out on that day, they are put certified because it actually is. Um, normally I go by trusted website, um, websites, so Wikipedia is not trusted because you can edit it whenever you want, which is pretty weird because I've actually seen people you know, use Wikipedia and it's, they're getting information, getting, getting into that information, even the smallest mistakes can lead to bigger mistakes. So that's how I find
3: my information. I look at different types of websites. To, to make sure that's true. Not just one website telling me that I believe that's true. No, I would just look different types of things YouTube just to make sure that the news is true. I would go
4: to the library and rent out books with my library card because here in we can actually get library cards for free. Get free books, you know, for a certain amount of time, free uh, free everything actually, you know, education, tutoring, computers. We did a whole essay on that, and it was it was pretty cool because you know there's people there out there without internet and everything else. Especially when we had our power outage, and we had no school from Thursday to Monday, and it actually extended until Tuesday in the morning at like four o'clock a.m. So like one hour we would have had no school, but then we had school that day because the power came on. Luckily. But um, yeah, it's, I, uh, the library is pretty cool, so that's where I get most of my information as well. When I want to go deeper into a project, say um, say history. I would go to the library, get some history books about a certain topic, get quotes from the books, and that's where my evidence reading right there. And uh,
3: especially specific evidence, to believe in more natural evidence,
0: you
3: could
0: use it the most real, like, specific evidence to believe more. Yamna, yeah, did you want to add anything about how your kids get their news? Do you think, or how do they figure out if it's true? Do they ask you? <laughs> Is that how they figure it out?
1: Yeah, they're they're pretty young, five and seven. So yeah, they, they like, I don't know, I mean, once I put the news on, they're like fixated. They want to know, they feel like I'm hiding something from them. <laughs> And they want to know what's happening in the world. Um, And then they start to ask me about it.
4: You you said your kids were
0: five and
1: seven? Yeah, pretty young.
0: I have a two-year-old, so I think I get the... Do I get the smallest child in the house? My son... um, we're almost out of time. My son obviously doesn't get process um, politics, but... We realized with my husband that maybe we were overdoing it with the political discussion at home because one of his first words was Trump, oh and God. he didn't—he didn't know what it what it meant, right? I mean, he was just like Trump, 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 <laughs> and we're like, oh, okay, we need to tone this down a little bit. We're discussing politics too much at home. So, you know, at each age, we think about it differently, I guess. So we're almost out of time, um, but I really wanted to just sort of say, what would your last words be to an educator? who's watching this, do you have any thoughts? Like, what would you recommend? Are there places like websites or resources that you know of that they should definitely check out if they're trying to um, discuss topics related to American Muslims and Islam in their classrooms?
4: My last words is, if you trying to look for something, just, um, don't just quit when it gets hard, because, you know, there's always, there's always that thing out there, you know? Um, I know this is gonna sound weird, but with anything they like, taught me in life, like even in video games, if you solve the enemy, I mean, like you're going to the you're going in the right direction, and that's how that's how you like progress in life. You have to go through hard times and succeed, and you know that's the true key to success. So that's that's really what I'm gonna say for the end of this. You know, be proud. Um, if you're Muslim, be proud of that stay to your religion, be be good, be great. Um, yeah, um, I think the second, one of the second most richest people in this world is actually Arabic. So that's pretty cool. And it's just, it's really cool because people thought that we couldn't do anything, Muslims can't do anything, and we've accomplished so many stuff across the years. And it's just, you know,
0: changed people's way of thought. It's going to be hard to top
3: that. Any other <laughs> OK, other thoughts? Well, my last time I remember a quote, Don't just buy a book by its cover until open and discover. Like, don't just think yeah. by seeing them. Like, the Muslims wearing hijab. They're just done by the hijab. But when you see them, when, when you talk to them, when you like, stay with them a little bit, you like you see, you, you, find new, uh, new, you find new things about them. You find interesting things. They're nice. And they're not what you think before. So just, just like uh, no more information before you just read before, You just something.
0: Amira, did you have a last thought?
2: Uh, I definitely would just like to stress this whole idea. We are all coming in with our own experiences and within the classroom, this stressing this idea of opening the floor for students to be able to you know, kind of almost purge whatever is coming out so they can process it because I think it's coming at them so fast that they're not able to like fully understand and process what's coming at them. Um, and like um, DetroitFutureSchools.org, I'm going to plug that. Uh, they definitely have resources to how to shift the discussion from 80-20 being the teacher speaking the majority of the time to shifting it so it's 80-20 students speaking a majority of the time. So uh, DetroitFutureSchools.org.
0: Mm -hmm. Great. Yamna, did you have a last thought?
1: Well, my my thought is, um, to me, (laughs) to anyone who's (laughs) experiencing this, uh, because, I mean, with everything that's happening, there's um, a knee-jerk reaction where you feel like, you know what, I'm just going to isolate myself and live through those four years. so that I won't have to deal because it's a daily challenge every day something new happens and you have to deal with it and You have to talk about it um, and it's um, and it's a lot to take um, so But I mean what I would say is don't isolate yourself um, And when when we don't isolate ourselves when we reach out to people we will be surprised because sometimes um, People are just waiting for a chance To show their solidarity, uh, but do not know how and um, and so, like for example, volunteering um, and working together with community members on a common um, community cause—not necessarily something that's related to Muslims, but to everyone in the community—because people really appreciate people who are useful, irrespective of their background. Um, and so, I mean, and I'm speaking also from an immigrant point of view, um, because some immigrant communities tend to isolate themselves. Um, so. This is, I mean, this, uh, this advice I would give to immigrants, not necessarily American um, uh, Muslims um, and seek interface alliances and with um, regards to um, teachers who are non-Muslim, um, invite a speaker to speak about Islam uh, from Muslim Speakers Network, um, visit the local mosque, um, talk to your Muslim neighbors, listen to your
0: um, Muslim students. Um, yeah, great. Great! Thank you so much. Thank you all of you. Um, we're out of time, so I'm going to rattle through my la- end of this, um, this the end of the webinar spiel here. So this has been an awesome webinar. It's going to go live. Um, we'll probably be sharing more resources. If you'd like to keep up to date with future opportunities, um, shine up, sign up—not shine up, sign up for the monthly newsletter at educatorinnovator.org and follow educatorinnovator on Twitter at innovates underscore ed. Thank you, everybody. We're going to go off air. Thank you so much.